Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. So what I want to do is I want to go in to a Father's Day message for you all. Um, any, any day, any Sunday, any service, any day where you get to lift up the name of Jesus is a good day. But there's something special about Father's Day. Um, I want to I start by reading a well-known passage of Scripture. Romans 8, starting in verse 15. And this is what it says. I'm reading out of the New Living. So, you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us we are God's children. The King James, I think, translated as, so the Holy Spirit will testify to our spirit that we are the children of God. That the Holy Spirit will speak deep unto deep that we are His children. And since we are His children, we will share His treasures for everything God gives to His Son, Christ, is ours too. God is all about relationship. That's why a Father's Day service is a special thing. Every service is a special thing, but there's something wonderful about a Father's Day service because it's a great day to remember God's all about relationship. God created us in relationship for relationship. What do I mean by that? God created us in relationship. Do you realize God is relationship? Three in one. Not a three-headed God, but three in one. And when he created us, he said, let us create them in our image. He created us in relationship for relationship. And there's a whole message there that I won't go into this morning. But what I want you to see, what I want you to know is so often people will think, oh, what's my purpose? What's my destiny? What was I created for? I'll tell you, you were created in relationship for relationship. There's a word that God uses for each and every one of us in Scripture, depending on the translation, uh, it depends on the number of times it's used, but it's right around a hundred times average um, uh, with tr different translations. And it's this, beloved. And that's not only a wonderful uh, pet name, it's not only a term of endearment, it's your job description. Be loved. Beloved, 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 beloved. What were you created for? To be loved. To be in relationship with God. He created you in relationship for relationship because God is all about relationship. That is the message of the cross. Too many Christians look at the cross and they think the message is we should hang our heads in shame for the horrible things we've done that sent Jesus there on our behalf. Well, we should be aware of the price that he paid. That's important. It's very important that we're aware of what he did for us at the cross, that he paid the price for our sins so that we could be brought back into relationship with our, our Heavenly Father. But just as important and, and, and perhaps, perhaps even slightly more important than knowing what he did, which is radically important, I'll tell you what's transformed my life. What he did, absolutely. But even more, why he did it. I think the why of the cross is as powerful as the what of the cross. And the why is this. I love you. I love you. I'll pay any price to bring you back into relationship with me. Because I love you. 
God is all about relationship. He created us in relationship, for relationship, and we need to understand that there is nothing he would not do and nothing he has not done, nothing he would not give and nothing he has not given to bring us back into that place of relationship that we turned away from. But he's all about relationship, so he always wants to bring us back into relationship. I want to tell you today that God is not angry with you, and he is not, will not, and never, ever, ever will turn his back on you. Now, you know, have you ever met somebody who said, man, I'm really glad I know the God of the New Testament, not the God of the Old Testament? That's a theologically ridiculous statement. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I said God's not angry at you. That doesn't mean God never has anger or wrath. The Old Testament makes it clear that he does, that God can be a God of anger and God of, of wrath. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the perfect representation of the invisible Father, that Jesus came so that we could deal with every lie of the enemy that has gotten any person throughout time to misinterpret who our Heavenly Father is and what he's like. He showed us exactly what our Heavenly Father is like. And once we understand that, all of a sudden when you read the Old Testament, everything changes. And you realize, oh, God is angry, but he's angry at sin. He's angry at the things that separate us from him. That's the anger of God. Because he's, he, he's all about relationship. And he wants to have us in relationship. And he, he's paid this incredible price for us to be in relationship. The classic story of this and probably the classic Father's Day um, a parable is uh, out of Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal. And we all know this story so well. There's this father, this king, he has two sons. And his youngest son comes to him and basically says, I want my inheritance now. And I want to determine what I'll do with it. I don't want to wait for it. I want it now. And the father says, well, it's yours. You can have it. And he squanders it and on, 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 on uh, sinful living. And at one point, when famine sweeps through the land, he's destitute. And the only thing he can find work in is feeding pigs. And as he feeds the pigs, he's hungering for the swap he's throwing at them. He's, he's looking at the food he's, he's giving the pigs and thinking, oh, man, I wish I could eat some of this. You know what? This is awful. I should just go back to my, my father's house where at least the hirelings have food. And he comes up with this plan and he says, I'm, I'm going to go back to my father, but I'm not going to ask to be his son. I've, I've squandered that. I've, I've wasted that. I have no right to that. But I'll go back and be a hireling. And so he's rehearsing his, his speech to his father all the way home. Oh, father, I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I don't deserve to be your son. I'd like to be hired on. At least I'll have a place to sleep and I'll have, I'll have, I'll have a, a three meals every day. And he's rehearsing this over and over again. When he gets near, his father, who's looking for him every single day, sees him. And we know the, the, the king, the father, runs out to him. And the, the son is trying to get through his speech, but the father won't let him. The father just hugs him and kisses him and says, Bring my robe, bring my sandals, bring my ring. My son has returned. This is a great day. And they throw a party. Now see, the, 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 the son was aware of his mistakes and felt he was disqualified by them. He felt his, his right to sonship was removed because of his wrong choices. But the father understood what the son didn't. Sonship can't be removed. Sonship is. Relationship is. See, sonship in the kingdom 
is like that. It's in, in, in the sense of its covenant. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we're brought into covenant with our Heavenly Father, this covenant relationship that we didn't really have anything to do with. The Son and the Father cut covenant on our behalf. And we step into that covenant. But the, the prodigal was approaching sonship, was approaching his father from a contract and consumer mindset as opposed to a covenant mindset. See, a consumer mindset with, with a contract is we agree to an exchange of goods or services. If you do what you say you'll do and I do what I say I'll do, then the, the contract is good until one of us decide we don't want it anymore. I have many consumer relationships in my life. One of, I, have a, I have a small house in Maricopa, Arizona where a ministry center is, and I travel quite a bit. So there's a, there's a great guy who um, takes care of my little backyard and my little front yard. He takes care of the plants when I'm gone. He comes two times a month, and I pay him $55 U.S. a month to do that and take care of things. And if anything comes up, he deals with it. Now, this, and we've been in this relationship for, I think, eight years now. But the truth is... And if Marco was here, I'd say this and he'd understand it, um, that it's a, it's a consumer relationship. As long as he does what he's promised me he's going to do twice a month, then I send him a check. But if he stops doing it, I'm going to stop sending the check. Or honestly, if he raised his rates a whole lot and I thought it's not worth it to me, then we're not in a covenant agreement. We're in a consumer agreement. I'm going to find somebody who can do the same thing for the same money or less. That's consumer. That's how the prodigal was approaching his relationship with his father. I've blown it. I made mistakes. I don't deserve to be a son anymore. I'm going back. I'll be blessed to be a hireling. And the father doesn't even enter into it. He doesn't let him get that far in his speech. He says, you are my son and I love you. I'm glad you've returned. So they throw a party. And now the prodigal's older brother hears about this. And he gets ticked. He's like, wait a minute. I have worked diligently. This buffoon comes to you and says, I want my inheritance now. And he squanders it. This ne'er-do-well. And you welcome him back and you welcomes him back with a party. I have been working diligently for this man every day of my life. I can't even get a goat for being my friends. And this guy gets the fatted calf. Where's the punishment? Where's the recrimination? Where's my reward? And the father hears and he comes to him and says, What, son? I have failed you. If I have not helped you see, everything in my household is yours. See, the prodigal felt disqualified by his mistakes. But the prodigal's older brother, he was actually disqualified by his performance. He had a works mentality, performance mentality. He didn't understand relationship with the father that is covenant, that just is. But the father says to him, oh, I want you to get this. I want you to understand. I love you and everything in my household is yours no matter what. And you don't have to work for it. I want you to be a good steward, but you don't have to work for it. This is not a consumer relationship. This is a covenant relationship. And we look at that and we think, oh, to have had a father like that. Oh, to have known and been raised by a father like that. But I want you to know each and every one of us has a father that's even greater than that. Our heavenly father. And we, we see the prodigal's father. We see the king. And we think, oh, now this is a culture 
where men, successful men, did not run. They were carried. They either walked or they were carried by an entourage when they were that successful. He doesn't think of any of that. He runs out to his son. He said, who cares what anybody thinks? My son, my son, my son, my son. And we're moved by that. Well, our Heavenly Father has done something even more amazing. He sacrificed His Son, who was perfect in relationship, perfect in obedience. And He sacrificed Him so we who are imperfect could be brought back into relationship. That's how much our Heavenly Father loves us. The revelation of God as Father is so important. We're talking about the prodigal father. Now I want to shift to our father. In Luke 11, the disciples have been walking with Jesus now for about 11 chapters, right? They've seen him do amazing things. They see that every time he prays, something happens. Every time he releases the kingdom, there is a shamalama ding dong. Something happens, man. Everywhere he goes, everybody encounters the presence, the power, and the personality of God. Now, not everybody gets that it's God, but everybody sees something happen. Years ago, when God called me to Europe, I'd been serving in Southeast Asia for years. Three times a year, I was going into Thailand, bringing teams with me from around the world, doing something called Operation Extreme Love Thailand. And what we did is we'd go to Pattaya, Thailand, which there's kids in the room, so I'm going to be careful. I'm going to just share generics. It was an international destination for sex tourism, and we'd bring uh, teams in there, and for a week I'd pour into them and I'd teach them evangelism and teach them how to operate in extreme love. And then we'd go out on the streets, we'd go into the brothels, and we'd release the extreme love of Jesus to people who desperately needed a revelation of it. And every day... We'd see miracles, signs, wonders, healings. We'd see salvations. It was incredible. I loved getting to serve for those, I think, six years, three times a year. It's like walking around the book of Acts. So I'm off in my December prayer retreat, praying into the upcoming year, praying into um, Southeast Asia and all God has planned. And long story short, I have an angelic encounter that starts with this brilliant burst of light. And I'm confused by it, but it, I, it ended up being that um, God started, they almost lifted me up off my feet. And I, I actually got up, but it's a, it's a long story. I'm going to make it short. But it was almost as if I was lifted up off my feet. And when I was, I opened my mouth. What I was going to say was, what the heck was that when I saw the flash of light? But what came out of my mouth was I started prophesying over Europe and the nations of Europe and making these prophetic declarations and it went on and on and on and on. I had not thinking about Europe, had not been praying about Europe. But God called me to Europe, and, his, and when it was done, he spoke to me and he said, if I arrange everything, will you do a three-month ministry tour through Europe to start lighting fires on this continent that I care about so much? And I had been serving, as I said, in Southeast Asia, not only Thailand, but Cambodia. And especially in Cambodia, I would go places where if I could get the water to run, one, and if I could get it to run light yellow, I would, like, take a shower. They were challenging conditions. Those of you who have been on the mission field know that those, what those conditions can be like. It's a privilege to go. It's a joy to go. But I'm thinking, Europe, oh my gosh, clean water, um, um, great restaurants, beautiful architecture. This is going to be great, sure. And the Lord spoke to me so deeply and so profoundly. He said, it will be the hardest ground you've ever encountered. And this was, I can't remember, six or seven years ago. 
And um, I could feel the weight of responsibility coming on it, and I got a little nervous, like, well, I don't know. And I said, well, Lord, you always tend to send me into hard ground. So, yeah, I guess. And again, it will be the hardest ground you've ever encountered. So, long story short, I said yes. He set everything up. I'm halfway through a three-month tour through Europe. Six weeks into it, I'm in Oslo, Norway. And it's the first time it took six weeks to get somebody outside of a church to let me pray for them. I was used to being in the, the streets and brothels of Thailand. I made the mistake once of standing up in a church and saying, I love red light districts. I love going to brothels. And there was this huge, I was like, wait, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. I love ministering and praying for people in red light districts and at brothels. So I've, I've learned to be wiser in how I phrase that. Um, and seeing these miracles, these signs, these wonders, and now here I was over here, this was six, seven years ago, six weeks to get somebody outside of a church to let me pray for them. And when I did, it was a checker. I, I, I don't know what the, the right word is, but in the States we'd call, at least my generation would say, it was a checker at a grocery store in Oslo, Norway. This young woman who was, you know, not checking me out because that means something else. Um, but she was like processing my groceries and telling me how much I owed. And I, she had something on her wrist and I asked if I could pray for her and she was kind enough to say yes. And I was like, oh, hallelujah, somebody outside of a church is going to let me pray for him. It's miracle time, baby. And when I was done praying, I said, do you do, 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 try it out? How does it feel? And she's like, hey. And I went back to where I was staying and got on my knees and cried out to God. I was heartbroken. Because I thought, Lord, there's not a place you went that anybody encountered you that when you were done, they went, eh. <laughs> they might not have understood you were the Son of God, that you were Messiah, but they knew something happened. And many that didn't believe were so threatened they told lies about you because they knew something. That's what I want, God. Oh, Lord, this is the hardest ground I've ever encountered. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I told you. <laughs> and I said, Lord, you don't understand. It would take a massive move of God to get these people's attention. They are a stiff-necked people. They are a hard... I turned into Moses. They are a hard-hearted people. And the Lord asked me, he said, what have you been crying out for? What have you been believing for? What have you been contending for? And all of a sudden it hit me. It was like, Lord, I've been contending for a great move of God that will get everyone's attention. And you know, I'm so encouraged because even in these six or seven years, I've seen such a radical shift in Europe. Europe is ripe. Europe is ripe. And I honor each and every one of you. I honor the pastors of the house who have been here for 30 plus years. Europe is ripe because we're standing on the shoulders of giants like this. Europe is right because of all the pastors, all the, the missionaries, all the, the church leaders, all the ones who have come and laid their life down. When I got to Thailand, I saw crazy radical things happening. I had no illusion that it was because of me. I knew I was standing on the shoulders of giants. Many stories I'd hear about missionaries who had come to that region for 20, 30 years and had seen a handful of salvations and died thinking, what impact did I have? They had a great impact because they persevered and they were heroes of the faith. And I got to harvest in a, in a field in which I did not plant. You all, this house, whether you've been here for years or you've been here, today's your first day. If you're here, you are now a part of a work, a move of God 
that you are going to see great things happen. You are going to see salvations, creative miracles. God's promised, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not contending for revival. I'm contending for revival under Reformation. That was God's promise to me with an angelic encounter for Europe that it would be revival in the churches and reformation in the nations. I want to see nations changed by the reality of God. But beloved, I tell you where it's going to start, here and here. And it comes with the radical revelation of our Father and His love and goodness in all things at all times. This is so important in Luke 11, where I started, where I started this long story. In Luke 11, the disciples have been walking with Jesus now for these 11 chapters roughly. Well, nine chapters. And they notice that when he prays, when he ministers, when he declares the reality of the Father, something happens. And in Luke 11, they say to him, teach us to pray. He's been off praying, and the, the, the light comes on. They go, wait a minute. He goes off and he does that all the time. He goes off and he meets with the Father all the time. We still don't really know what that means. But we know it works. Lord, teach us to pray. I personally believe it could be translated this way. Lord, teach us to have the kind of impact that you've been talking to us about that we see through you, but we're not seeing through us. And something tells us it has something to do with when you go off and connect with the Father. And Jesus says, ha, 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 ha. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven. Do you catch that? Everything starts with the revelation and declaration of personal relationship. Our Father. Not the Father, but our Father. My Father, who is in heaven. My Father, who is. My Father, who is. My Father, who is in heaven. I'm in this realm, but I'm not of this realm. Every single one of us has been recreated in Christ to bilocate. Do you understand how supernatural you already are? You bilocate constantly. You're in the earth, but you're not of the earth. You are the gate of heaven into the earth. You are the overlap of heaven and earth. You are Normandy Beach, and every day is D-Day, baby. You are the invasion point. You are the insertion point of the kingdom of God. The presence, the personality, and the power of the God himself into the earth. And it all starts with my Father who is in heaven. This is the greatest battle we will face. But I want you to know we already have the victory in Christ. That this is so profound, this is so powerful, this is so important that Jesus not only said, here's where it starts, boys, our Father who is in heaven, but it's where the enemy will attack. When Jesus was launched into his earthly ministry, we see it in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke. When he's launched into his earthly ministry, John the Baptist sees him, behold, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world. And he baptizes him, and there's this awesome, charismatic moment. Oh, the heavens open. Holy Spirit descends as a dove to rest upon him. 
incredible. Signs, wonders, incredible. And he is launched out into his earthly ministry. What does the devil immediately do? Attacks the revelation of relationship. Jesus is out in the desert, 40 days, no food, no water. The devil shows up and says, if, 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 come on, man, seriously, <laughs> if you are a son of God. Turn those stones to bread. Let me tell you what was going on there in the spirit. The devil shows up and says, 40 days, no food, no water. You gotta be hungry. You gotta be thirsty. You gotta be kidding me that you're a son. 40 days, no food, no water. Man, tell you what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna call Child Protective Services. And I'm going to report your father. This is abuse, man. He hasn't fed you or given you water for 40 days. This is abuse. If you're a son, who'd want to be a son to a father like that? Turn those stones to bread. We both know you can do it. Go ahead. Take care of yourself. Because he's not, is he? That's what's going on in the spirit. And what does Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. We all know it. We all declare it. We all go and say what's true. Oh, knowing the Word of God and declaring the Word of God has power. And that is true. I want to take you a little bit deeper and point out to you the power of this revelation when we realize what were the last words that proceeded from the Father's mouth to Jesus. Behold, my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Those were the last words to proceed from the Father's mouth before the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert. It took me several readings before I realized that. As a brand new Christian, I'd been a mocker and persecuted Christians for most of my life. For 38 years, I couldn't stand you people. I thought Christianity was a crutch for weak people that couldn't make it on their own. And one day I found out I was right. And I'm incredibly grateful that at a very difficult time in my life, a God who I'd made fun of him and his people for 38 years loved me enough to show up to the, in the woods of Montana and say to me, I refuse not to love you. And in that moment, inside this holy, eternal silence that I have no idea how long it lasted because I was in the arms of the I am, where everything's just present tense, I brought everything before him every mean, wicked, arrogant, selfish, hateful, hurtful thing I'd ever done in my life, and there was a lot of them, because I was a very angry, very wounded person. Every single one, his response was, I refuse not to love you. Every single one. And in that moment, I knew something had happened. I knew something was different. I'd never felt so loved. I never felt so accepted. I fell radically in love with Jesus. I, I got hungry for Jesus. I was reading my Bible all the time, but I was basically alone by myself in my cabin in the woods of Montana um, with my Bible. Someone had given me um, a copy of six CDs by Graham Cook and a tape set by Joyce Meyer, who I also just, I love her. She's amazing. So I'd listen to the CDs. I'd listen to the tapes. I'd read my Bible. But, you know, I, I was just being mentored by the Holy Spirit, 
And I missed the first several times that Holy Spirit led Jesus out into the desert. I actually would think, oh man, that sneaky devil. He suckered Jesus out in the desert to tempt him. And then I remember the day I saw he was led. It really jumped off the page. Wait a minute. Holy Spirit led him out. We will all have to win this battle of the revelation of sonship. We will all have to win the battle. Choose to trust in our Heavenly Father. Every single one of those temptations had to do with relationship. The first one we talked about. The devil will point to your circumstances to can try to convince you that God does not care for you, is not there for you, is not looking out for you, and is not providing. But I am here to tell you the key is do not let your circumstances determine your revelation of your relationship with God. Let your revelation of your relationship with God and the certainty of his goodness and love, let that impact your circumstances. The next temptation in, in Matthew, it's in a different order in Matthew and Luke. I'm going to go through the Matthew order. The next temptation, um, he, he takes Jesus to a high place, to the high, high spot of the temple in Jerusalem and says, launch yourself out from here. Throw yourself from this temple. If you are a son, do this because God says he'll protect you and care for you. And he cites scripture to him. And Jesus says this, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. In other words, Jesus is saying, the devil's saying, hey... Here's what I want you to do. If you're a son, prove it. Make God jump through a hoop for you right now. Make God prove this relationship according to your understanding and your agenda. And Jesus says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now this is the one that gives me the fear of the Lord. Because how many times have I looked at my circumstances or thought, God, if you do this, then I'd know you're real. But God addresses this beautifully in Hebrews 3 and 4. God says in Hebrews 3, he talks all about how the Israelites, they couldn't enter my rest because they didn't believe. And then in Hebrews 4, he said something when I was a young Christian, I read once that hit me so hard. He said, be careful lest this same thing happen to you. And I remember sitting in my chair, my one chair in my little cabin in the woods of Montana and getting the fear of the Lord and thinking, oh God, I don't want this to happen to me. So what is it they didn't believe, God? And I asked him out loud. I would ask him questions in my little cabin, in my little chair in the, in the woods. I said, Lord, what is it they didn't believe? Did they not believe you were God? And immediately he spoke to my heart. He said, no, they believed I was God. They didn't believe I was good. And if you look at the Israelites' journey, there are times when they basically said to him, do what we want, when we want, how we want, and then we'll trust you. And the great example is, you know... One of the greatest revival atmospheres in history every single day, man. I mean, we get excited as the charismatic church, and we should. We get excited when we feel the presence. We get excited when we, we get a little gold dust or we see some feathers or if um, some manifestation happens, and we should get excited. It's amazing. I get excited when I'm in my prayer chair at home and I feel the winds of heaven blowing around me. Or I see flashes of light and I should get excited. It's amazing. But they lived in this revival atmosphere. Cloud by day. Fire by night. All day, every day. I mean, they're going up and warming their hands by it at night. It's amazing, the manifestation of God. Manna every single morning. The tangible, manifest provision of God every single day. And what do they say? We want meat. Give, give us some meat. That, that would be good. Now, I need to be careful because I could be the same way. 
But what I want us to see is the trap of the enemy to get us to doubt relationship, to get us to doubt the goodness of our Father. God blesses us with battles. God does not raise up victims, but he does raise up victors, and that will involve him blessing us and entrusting us with battles. Romans 8 says it. These momentary, light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the weight of glory that will be revealed. I know when we're in the middle of them, they don't feel light, they don't feel momentary, but they are. And it's unto something. As charismatic people, we we tend to love the prophetic, and we should. It's wonderful to hear from God, to be exhorted, encouraged, and edified. We get a prophetic word, we get that promise, we get that confirmation, we get excited. And that's good. But one of the things we forget is the same good God who gives the good promises that we get excited about is the same good God who allows the good processes that we usually complain about. So the devil says, make him jump through a hoop for you. And he says, thou shalt not test the Lord thy God. In other words, I'm going to trust in what his word says, his character and his nature, no matter how things look or feel in the moment. The last temptation, the third temptation... The devil takes him and says, look, here's the deal. I'll give you the whole wide world. I'll give you all the world. I'll give you all the kingdoms. If you kneel down, bow down, and worship me. Now think about this. What did Jesus come for? The whole wide world. I believe what the last, that that third temptation in the desert was, was the devil offering Jesus the promise without the process. The devil will point at the process God is blessing us with and use it to convince us God's not real, God doesn't care, and God's not there. And Jesus says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and Him alone. In other words, even in this, even in this process, I'm going to worship God because the process may not look good or feel good at times, but it is good because my Father's good. Those are still the main three tactics of the enemy to get us doubt relationship. He'll point to our circumstances. He'll say, oh, make God jump through a hoop. And he'll try to point when you're in process and see, see, if God was really good and he loved you, he'd just give it to you. Why is he making you do all this? But Jesus won the battle for us, and he won it with the word of God. Now, one thing I want to point out is it is important to know God's word, be in God's word, and declare God's word. Those are powerful, powerful weapons. The word of God, the sword of the spirits, the word of the Lord. We can use it to exact vengeance against the enemy. But I also want you to remember that Jesus was the word made flesh. That Jesus was the perfect representation, the visible representation of the invisible father. So I believe when Jesus is quoting the word, he's also saying, I will trust in who my father is, what he says, and his character and nature that I know despite anything that's going on. That's the key to success in the kingdom, is knowing our father is good. This is how I know I need to wrap up, so let me, let me land the plane, as it were. This is how important, this is how critical this is. In John 17, Jesus' time in the earth with his disciples is coming to an end. In John 17, he's making this incredible prayer and declaration over his disciples with him. But when you read it carefully, it's very clear. He's making it over all of his disciples throughout time. This is what it all builds up to. In John 17, 22, he says this. Father, the very same glory that you gave me, I give to them. So that they might be one with you, just as I am one with you. Now, we know in the Greek, glory is, the word is doxa, and all these wonderful meanings to it. 
But I want to remind you that in, in, in Exodus, when Moses cries out, Lord, show me your glory, God says this, I will let all my glory pass before you. I will, and, and that word there can be translated as copious goodness. I will let the fullness of my goodness pass before you. But you can't look me in the face because if you do, you'll die. So you only see it from behind as I tuck you into the cleft of the rock. I believe that that scripture has been misinterpreted and misunderstood. The part about we can't look him in the face or we'll die, that makes no sense to me when people say you can't see God or you'll die. Look at earlier, just earlier on in Exodus 33 alone, it says that Moses made a practice of going outside the camp into the tent of meeting where God would descend and meet with him face to face as a man meets with a friend. So that threw me for a loop, and I did, I did a little word study, and real quickly, a better, a different way, a way you could translate that you won't see me face to face is, you'll see this all from behind, is you could translate it as you won't really understand what's going on in the moment, but when you look back, you'll see. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tuck you into the cleft of the rock. Who is our rock? Jesus. What is the cleft in our rock? They're the wounds in his hand and his side. The very wounds he showed to the disciples when they were all freaked out. And he said, touch my hands, feel my side. They are the displays of his love and the price he paid for us and the reality of it. And when we're tucked inside of that, all of a sudden, no matter how things look or feel, we may not understand it in the moment, but we can trust that God is good. Jesus said, may you have, Lord, may they have, I give them, I release to them the very same glory, the very same revelation of your copious goodness that was with me every moment of every day in the good times that I celebrated you with, in the difficult times when I grabbed hold of you and you saw me through. May they have that revelation of the goodness of the Father in all things at all times because then they'll stay in unity with you. Do you understand? God will never turn his back on us. That's why the devil does these things to get us to turn our back on him. God will never walk away from us. So the devil uses these ploys to get us to walk away from God because the devil knows if we stay in him, that it all gets turned to the good. The devil knows he's defeated. He's working hard that we won't know it. And I don't make light of one affliction one physical or emotional challenge that anyone is going through. I am coming out of a 10-year physical battle that was so debilitating, I couldn't walk to the mailbox without being in bed for three days. I was so weak, so sick, that I couldn't stand up through a shower most days. And no one could figure out why. Week after week, day after day, year after year, sicker, weaker, I'm, si I'm almost six foot three inches tall. I was down to 150 pounds. No one could figure out why. I'd eat 20,000 calories a day and I'd lose weight every week. No one could figure out why. Weaker, weaker, sicker, sicker. I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but I want you to know, I didn't always fight well. There were times I gave in to fear. There were times I gave in to self-pity. But every time God would meet me in those things and he would remind me that he was good. And sometimes I'd yell at him, I don't see any good. I don't feel any good. You heal people in my meetings. Why don't you just heal me, man? And all he'd do is give me the opportunity to grab hold of his hand and trust in his goodness when nothing looked good or felt good. And I want to tell you, 10 years of that didn't feel like a light and momentary affliction. 
But with an eternal perspective, it was. I still have some challenges, but man, I'm up, I'm around, I can travel and preach again. I get to punch the devil in the nose again. But I am here to tell you, God is good. He is a good Father, and you are loved, and you are adored. And I don't make light of what you've been through or what you're going through, but I tell you, it is time to tell the devil to shut up. Your circumstances say nothing about the goodness of our Father. But the goodness of our Father will impact our circumstances. It will get control of our soul. It will win the battle of the mind, will, and the emotions and choose to trust in the goodness of our good Father in all things at all times. That was Jesus' prayer. May, he, may they know your goodness and stay in unity with you in all things at all times. So I proclaim over each and every one of you, I proclaim over this house, over this city, and over this nation, God is good. I declare the blessing of the Father over you, that you are a beloved son, you are a beloved daughter, you are a beloved child, and God is well pleased with you. And I declare grace, grace, grace to know His goodness, trust in His goodness, expect His goodness, and see His goodness in the land of the living. I declare a shift right now in your bodies and in your souls, in your minds, in your wills, and your emotions. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you honor the word of the Lord that we started with, that you speak deep unto deep. You speak spirit to spirit. You testify that we are his children and that he is a good father. And on Father's Day, Father God, we honor you. And we declare you are a good father in whom we are well pleased. In Jesus' name, amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 